Dear fellow redeemed, we consider especially our gospel lesson from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1. And if you're familiar with the Gospel of Mark, you've probably realized that Mark doesn't spend very many words um, recording conversations. And if anything else, that Mark zips along from one thing to the next, immediately from this to immediately Jesus does that. So then why? Why does Jesus take the time to go and be baptized? The baptism that John was baptizing with is the same baptism that you and I have today. It is a baptism that, at least to them, was to people who knew the truth, who had been instructed with the truth, and who had fallen laps in their faith and in the practice of that faith. And one of the ongoing themes that we see throughout the New Testament and also through the Old, especially if you read the prophets, one of the ongoing themes is that if faith is to be true faith, then that faith, that faith must work. As James says, and the one we're looking at in our Friday afternoon Bible class, James says that if faith does not actually do something, then it's not a true faith. That faith isn't simply knowledge of the facts and being able to recite a creed. Even the devil can do that, but he does not do it with faith. That faith that is real is faith that acts. And so Jesus goes to the Jordan River, and John's question to him, which is not recorded here, but it's in Matthew chapter 3, John's question to him is the same question that you and I have, that this baptism is the same baptism you and I have, that John was baptizing believers as a preaching of the gospel, that John was baptizing those who had been instructed as a preaching of forgiveness and encouragement to live out that faith, that faith that works. So why does Jesus come? John's question, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? Very similar to the question we hear at the end of Jesus' ministry as he goes around washing the feet at the table. And Peter says, no, don't wash my feet. Well, then if you're going to wash my feet, then wash all of me. That question. That if the baptism that we have is the same baptism that John had, why was Jesus baptized? He was not born into sin. That the baptism we have, the baptism John has, is a baptism that is a preaching of the gospel. A baptism that gives new life and resurrection. A baptism that imparts spiritual life. A baptism that is a specific preaching of the forgiveness of sins, even to the tiniest of infants who does not yet know human language, at least in a way that they can verbalize. Then why Jesus? He had no sin of his own that he was born into. He, of all people, was not born spiritually dead. The only other two people that could have described, for at least for a little while, was Adam and Eve, that they were born spiritually alive, that is, knowing God's will and wanting to do God's will until they died at the tree. Jesus is spiritually alive. He has no sin of his own. And so why is he baptized there? I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me. And John... Um, John had this question for him, and Paul unpacks it for us. 
that the baptism that Jesus was baptized with wasn't just a baptism for him, but his baptism gives power to yours. And you see what happens. As Jesus walks into the Jordan River, we don't know if it was quite at flood stage or maybe ankle deep. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how the water is applied, just that we use water. And John baptizes him in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And immediately after that, God visually demonstrates exactly what he had promised, that he would anoint the Messiah, the Messiah meaning anointed one, the Christ, same thing, the anointed one, that he would visibly anoint the Messiah so that he would carry out the work that God had entrusted to him. He would be visibly anointed so that he would go and be the Lamb of God to carry sin, so that he would go and preach the good news of the kingdom to those wandering in darkness. And so his baptism, his baptism is, yes, the beginning of his ministry, but what Paul unfolds for us is that his baptism gives power to yours. That if we think about this a little bit, um, chances are you haven't given very much thought to the day of your baptism. If you were brought up in a, in a family that practices infant baptism as Scripture um, commands, then you don't even remember the day of your baptism. If you were baptized later in life, maybe you do, and maybe, or maybe it was just kind of that funny day where um, it's kind of like a confirmation, but you're standing over there, and then your head got wet, and, and it didn't feel like anything happened. But that's why Paul gives us this beautiful chapter of Romans chapter 6. And it's all right there in our gospel lesson, too. That Jesus was baptized so that the baptism he commands would be infused with his power. That Jesus was baptized so that when he would later say, go and baptize all nations and teach all nations, that when he says that, he actually means it, and he actually gives the ability to carry it out, that he is the one doing that work, that he is the one doing the work of giving spiritual resurrection to somebody in the waters of baptism because he is the one who was baptized in those same waters, that he is the one who raised himself from the dead, and the one who raised himself from the dead certainly is able to do the same for you, the same for the tiniest of infants, to the oldest of adults, that the baptism and the promise of baptism is right there. So we'll stick with the gospel lesson just a minute longer, I suppose. That Jesus comes out of the water, we see the Holy Spirit come down visually, um, anointing Jesus and ushering him into his ministry to go preach and teach, to battle the devil, to rule a kingdom and proclaim the good news of this kingdom. But then the Father speaks. This is my Son. You are my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. And you see right there, obviously, the beautiful image of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, one God indivisible, and yet all three persons making himself, each of the three persons making himself known. And the declaration, you are my Son whom I love. I am well pleased with you. That pretty much every time, you know, you read the Bible, um, you really have to zoom in on the words, but especially so in the Gospel of Mark, 
where Mark just bumps along from action to action to event to other action, and he is very sparse with his words. And the words give us the context, the meaning, the setting, the purpose of what's going on here. The one who was more powerful than John the Baptist had come, and there he stands in the waters of your baptism. And there he stands so that your baptism has power, and God's declaration over that baptism, you are my son whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. So that God's declaration in your baptism also, infused with that very same promise of God, you are my son, you are my daughter whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. And that is not a frivolous wish. That is a full promise. A promise from God Almighty that despite any perception, despite any neglect, despite any um, experience you may have in this world, that your Heavenly Father has said that He is well pleased with you. Not just like, okay, you get a passing grade, it's like a C plus, but that He says, you are my child, my son, my daughter. You have been given the, inter the eternal inheritance of heaven, and the deed to heaven is yours. I'm well pleased with you, he says, for the sake of this Jesus who stood in your baptismal waters. For the sake of this Jesus who stood there with no sin of his own to wash away, he doesn't bring anything to that baptismal water except himself and his holiness, himself and also his righteousness. So that your baptism isn't simply water, but water used in connection with the Word of God, and water that washes away sin, and water that gives God's declaration. You are my son. You are my daughter. With you, I am well pleased. And Paul picks up on that in Romans chapter 6, that he keeps going, that he keeps going with this, that in baptism you are united with Jesus in a way that is beyond, yes, beyond human perception, in baptism, you are united with Jesus because that is actually a greater date on your own personal calendar, a greater date than your own birthday, is the day that Jesus gave you new life, a day that you were adopted into the eternal family of God, a day in which the righteousness of Jesus clothed you and wrapped you in his perfection. And so the way Paul says it is that in Jesus, um, you were buried with him and you were raised with him. And yes, he picks up on the imagery of like being immersed, just as one might be immersed underwater and then brought back up. And it's beautiful imagery. But the promise is there for the baptism because Jesus is the one doing the work. I had that conversation this last week with... Um, our catechism class, I forget if it was Wednesday or Thursday, that, that when we gather together for catechism class, that the Jesus who ascended to heaven is still there whenever two or three gather together in his name. That the Jesus who visibly, that he withdrew his visible presence is the same Jesus who ascended so that he can fill all things, is the same Jesus who instructs you and me today. And so when we sit together in catechism class and we work our way through between, I don't know, 19 and 22 questions, that covers about an hour and a half. As we work our way through the questions, the teacher isn't really the guy at the end of the table. I'm just kind of the tour guide. And the one who does the actual teaching is Jesus Christ himself. 
It's kind of convenient, you know, in the, the back classroom there that we have um, the statue of Jesus that had been at Arlington Avenue and then at Hosanna as well. And I could say, you know, here's Jesus, I mean, visibly at like 70% size, I suppose. Here is Jesus, and he is the one who is doing the teaching. That if you are to learn anything from this class, the spiritual truth that must be imparted is one that the Holy Spirit has to teach. That Pastor Hagen could read all the methodology and teach until I'm blue in the face. But if Jesus himself were not doing the teaching, then nothing would happen. And the same holds true for you and for me. That if Jesus himself were not doing the teaching, nothing would happen. That if Jesus himself had not infused his power and his promise in the waters of holy baptism, then nothing would happen. Let us not be so familiar with that promise that we disregard it, but that when you were baptized, you were given a new life and a resurrection, that the door of your own grave was broken off of its hinges, and you were promised eternal life with God forever. And Paul continues from there. He says, you know what, that is, that is a very good reason to live a holy life now. Because you have been declared righteous, you know, God's declaration about you for the sake of Jesus, you have been declared righteous, that's a good reason to live a holy life now. Not to say, oh no, I've got to measure up, but you died to sin already. You died to sin and you have been raised. And that is a, that is a powerful truth for encouraging Christian living. That is a powerful truth for those who struggle with sin, and that's all of us. That is a powerful truth for those who um, say, you know what, maybe I'm getting a little tired, and it's always that I'm the one who is, um, is doing the thing that is morally correct and eth- ethically good, and then maybe it's the coworkers or the rest of the family who is um, who's betraying me or stabbing me in the back or taking shortcuts and cheating the boss. And why would I keep on doing all the good Christian things that I do when all it does is drain me. Paul says, well, you were baptized. You were baptized. Not with, not with simple water, not with washing dirt away from the body, but you were baptized with a Jesus Christ who stood in that same water. You were baptized with the resurrection and resurrection life, you know, ran off your head. You were baptized to join his life to you, that you're given a spiritually new life. And this Jesus came and said, this is his new home. And then he says, you know, that he wants to infuse that same power into your life. And that's the point of uh, Romans chapter 6, that part about the verbs. Um, I don't know, for better or for worse, a lot of our pastors really like language. I suppose it's a good thing. But verbs, action words that everything we see in Romans chapter 6 is baptism does something. And we are the ones who receive that action. We were buried with him. We were baptized with him. We were raised with him. It's not a wish. It's not a possibility. It's not a potentiality. It's a fact, a statement of fact. And so you as a Christian can say, you know what, even if I am getting tired, even if it is um, a struggle with sin, even if it does feel like everybody else is taking a shortcut and I'm the one who isn't, you can say at the same time, but I have a Jesus 
who raised himself from the dead, and that Jesus has made his home with me, and that the powerful promise of God, your Father in heaven, remains true for you. The same words that he declared over Jesus um, after John had said, well, you know, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to be baptized by me. And Jesus said, well, yes, it's proper to do so to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus came out of the water, and heaven was ripped open. Heaven was ripped open with a declaration that is now yours. You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. I'm well pleased with you. And so that question, why was Jesus baptized? If you look at the Gospel of Mark, he gives us a very compressed account of the action and only like two sentences of conversation. But those two sentences unfold for you and for me exactly what happened there, exactly what happened when you were a child or maybe later in life. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, joined his life to yours. That you have died to sin along with him. And you've been raised to a new life in his resurrection. And even if heaven doesn't open every time we baptize a baby, the same is still true today. That God's declaration is yours, and God's declaration is attached to that water. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With them I am well pleased. Amen. Amen.